0: Okay, you know, it's very intimidating after the two speakers I listened to, you know, to uh, come in with my (laughs) contribution. But what I'm going to try and do with my 10 minutes is um, tell you how I avoided two mistakes, one right at the beginning of my career and one at the end of my career, which could have uh, stopped me from writing. And the first one, starting at the beginning, was when I was a 21-year-old student at the University of Cape Town, studying philosophy, social science, anthropology. And um, I'd got through my first year, very in good shape, good form, got my class medals, second year, got the class medals again. And then I was in my third year and at the same time as I was doing all the studying, I was busy writing because that sort of duality had been in my life since I, since I could first remember the desire to tell stories and also the quest for knowledge. And I was a f- couple of months away from my writing the exams for my first degree, which would have been... a. Bachelor of Arts and I paused and stopped and thought to myself something doesn't feel right doesn't feel right about this why do I have this feeling that getting that degree is going to be a trap from which I might not escape because with a degree like that I could have gone on to be a teacher I could have pursued an academic career gone on to do a master's or something like that But that essential sense I have of myself, as a storyteller, had made me stop and think. And I needed advice from somebody. I needed to talk to somebody who I could trust. And it might sound fanciful, but the truth is I found that person in the shape of Beethoven, the great romantic musical composer. And I remember leaving the university campus and going down to the College of Music, which was part of the university, to listen to Beethoven. And at that time I was particularly fond of the Seventh Symphony. And at the end of that Seventh Symphony, I knew I was right, that it was a trap and that I had to go my own way if I wanted to be a writer. So I wrote a letter off to my mother. Now, she was an almost illiterate Africana woman, peasant, but had been given, by the grace of God, an incredible sense of natural justice. And she had looked at the world around her and realized that something was wrong. Because these, I must just remind you, talking about myself at the age of 21, I'm now 82. At 21 we're talking about the dark years of apartheid, that appalling system of institutionalized racial prejudice that characterized South Africa of those days. And she had scrimped and scraped her pennies and her tickies, her little dimes, in order to get me to university. She had worked very, very hard and I wrote to her not knowing what her reply was going to be, saying, Mom, I want to be a writer, and I want to see... Writers have got to see the world, and that's what I think I should do. That woman wrote back to me in the almost illegible handwriting, saying, Hallie, and that was my nickname as a child, Hallie, if that's what you've got to do, do it. So I... Put a couple of tons of sardines in a haversack, stood on the side of the road, and hitchhiked all the way through Africa from Cape Town to Cairo. After Cairo, I was a series of lucky breaks, gave me a chance to be on board a, a merchant ship, become a sailor. Uh, it was one of the, those days of the old tramp steamer that would just look for a cargo that would be advertised somewhere that needed to go somewhere else and the tram steamer would go and pick it up and carry it across the oceans and drop it wherever it was intended to be. And um, by coincidence, again a small, small little moment in a bar where I was signing chits for, for a beer that I didn't, the money for which I didn't have. That a portly gentleman next to me looked around and looked at me and said, all right, laddie, what's the trouble? And I immediately got very defensive because uh, I was actually breaking the law. I didn't have any money and I was living in this hotel and drinking as much as I wanted to. And I needed to talk to somebody. Again, I needed to talk to somebody. And I told him my story. And he said, well... I'm the captain of the SS Gregor, that name is enshrined in my memory, Welsh, for rock of gold, and believe me, the rust on that ship made it look like a rock of gold. (laughs) And um, he said, I'm sailing for Japan, I'm picking up a cargo of salt, pier number four, if you want to come along for the ride, you're welcome. And that started a memorable encounter with the sea, which also is a defining experience for me. And at the end of it, I got home, and I knew I had seen the world, because I did, right around it a couple of times. And I was a writer, and I started to write. And here I am, I don't know how many years later, what's it, 21, 80, 61 years later, here I am. And now comes the second mistake that I avoided making. And that mistake was avoided last night, here at the summit. <laughs> I was sitting at a table, as we were all sitting at a table, with incredible people. My God, when I think of it. I mean, next to me on one side was a Saudi Arabian princess, Rima, who spoke so tellingly about what she had done for the underprivileged woman of her country. And it was a very, very incredible story. Sitting on, next to me on the other side was a wife of a Nobel uh, Laureate economist who had made enormous change in the world. And then next to him was sitting Lucas, the film director, Star Wars and all of that. And also at that table, was Joshua Bell, a brilliant violinist who has given me so much pleasure over the years listening to his recording. And the temptation was to think that I belonged in that company. And now pride is a very good quality in any human being. But there is a matching one for false pride, and mine was false pride, because I don't rate myself in any way. I just do what I have to do, and my business, as it evolved over the years, was telling the stories about the people in my country. And the quality that neutralizes false pride, and it's a very important one that I urge any young, writer in this audience to take to heart is humility, be humble, be humble. And what I'd like to share with you in conclusion is a little note, I'm an addictive notebook keeper and that has allowed me to keep track of my life in a way. And this is the note which I wrote in August 1968. I was born in 1932, so this is when I was 36 years old. And I say, I wrote, I have said often enough in company, in interviews, that to leave South Africa on a one-way ticket, the so-called exit permit, was an intolerable thought. I've known it was so. But until this afternoon, never felt out exactly what would be involved. Didn't need to, I suppose, because it is the truth that to leave this country is unimaginable. Anyway, a walk with Ozduck, that was my dog, a walk with Ozduck in the bush this afternoon, ended up on a high, sandy ridge, almost a dune where the harsh gray scrub was cropped close to the earth because of exposure to the powerful southwesters. One was blowing, long and clean and cool. In the distance, the sea brilliantly blew, settling down after three days of rough weather. But it was that scrub underfoot, the nameless deformed little gray bushes, Half their roots exposed by the shifting sand, the thought that I might possibly one day never again walk over them in that silence and innocence, a keen pain, an intolerable sense of loss. Then tonight, the thought came to me that my life's work was possibly just to witness as truthfully as I could the nameless and destitute, the desperate, of this little corner of the world. This is what could be lost, those little gray bushes in the shifting sands of the dune. And so to Olson, Olson, the American poet, I have no longer any excuse for envy. My life has been given its orders. The seasons seize the soul and the body and make mock of any dispersed effort. The hour of death will be the only trespass. So, no longer any excuse for envy. My life has been given its orders. Love the little grey bushes. Thank you.